0: grow retain podcast
1: Hey Gengar Retain Let me tell you about the Martech podcast hosted by Benjamin Shapiro brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network Episodes are 30 minutes and he talks all about strategies and stories from world-class marketers on how they're using technology to generate growth and achieve business outcomes One in particular of late is unifying and activi- activating your customer data something that we talk about all the time in customer success So go listen the martech podcast wherever you get your podcasts
2: welcome everyone so we could go ahead and and start a nice little cozy cozy group that we have today so everybody welcome welcome to um to the ggr meetup today on thursday the leadership meetup Uh, my name is effie mansdorf i am a first-time host Longtime participant, longtime listener. So I'm really, really excited to be hosting today. So, um, so what we're going to be reviewing today is is really managing global teams, managing international teams and customers, and not just global global teams. It could be managing uh, managing customers in different time zones. I know that I've been. Pretty much in this industry for about you know customer facing industry for about twenty years, and I've been dealing with either global teams or global customers in one capacity or another. I know that for for example, back in the early days, it was really common to outsource maybe support. Um, it was also. Uh, a little more common if you're a smaller company to have maybe a CSM that has an international customer because you're not there yet uh, for the regional. Um, And of course, during COVID, how many of us with a show of hands have not met their whole team in person? Because I definitely, there we go. Yeah, so that, that brings... Challenges in and of itself. I have not yet met everyone that I even hired uh, in the past two years. So, um, so it brings upon you know whether we're dealing with global teams or global customers or different time zones even in the U.S. Uh, it brings upon a lot of uh, a lot of advantages, but also a lot of challenges. So that's what we're going to be uh, reviewing today. Um, so let's go ahead and go ahead and raise your hands. Uh, if anyone wants to go and share something that they talk about. Um, and we have a late comer. I, I can jump okay. in. Um, go ahead.
3: So I, I, Josh, Lamora, I come from ServiceNow. Um, really big company. So 16,000 employees. So this is a very, um, I I would say, intimate problem of ours, right? So we've got different time zones, different languages, different region specificity in terms of how people do things. Um, One perfect example of this is I was uh, organizing a big event, and Andrew was thankfully a part of this for us. Um, We had something like, I think we had to have a total of like 1,500 people that were going to be involved in this event. Um, all from our customer outcomes organization. And we had to create two separate events, uh, mm-hmm. one for Americas and NMEA and the other one for APJ. Um, that challenge in of itself was was pretty monumental, right? So not only did we have to deal with the time zone differences and you know even within the Americas and finding the right time when people were not going to drop off and just say, you know what, I'm, I'm late for dinner. I, I can't be a part of this. But then also for APJ with language Uh, limitations, right? We had to have interpreters, we had to have uh, a different way that the data was presented and the information was presented. Um, And that was a pretty monumental challenge, like I said, to make sure that we got the the right information to the right people at the right time for the right reasons. Um, And that was was definitely a a big thing. Thankfully, we survived. And, you know, Andrew did a fantastic job in presenting to us. But, uh, you know, that regionality, that international global community is something that you have to really be intentional about how you're how you're providing that data how you're providing information to each of the different regions
2: yeah and i think uh, absolutely right and especially these days um you know i think a lot of people are more mindful it's more accessible those international customers um, and especially, I would say, some of us in the US, you know, I'm originally from the US, but I moved abroad about 10 years ago. So I became very, very hypersensitive of, wow, I never even thought in those kind of terms of international. So it's great that, that you've experienced it and that you, you, you're mindful of it and you found ways to, to overcome it. Anyone have, uh, you know, maybe uh, team members that are spread either across time zones or across the globe? Who wants to share how you, uh, how you how you manage that?
4: So I had a, a team that was in the UK. I was in Seattle. Um, all of our customers are in the US. Um, and when I first started, uh, there was clearly um, some insensitivity towards time zones for our, our accounts team. Uh, so they would shove everything first thing in the morning um, so as we were building out the the team in the U.S., uh, one of the big challenges was, you know, you, you don't think about if you share a document in, in Google Docs and you forget to set the permissions, you the team in the U.S. loses a whole day. And so we had we had these weird growing pains where they were all self inflicted, uh, and when we'd get together, we had to be really intentional about it. And it it took us you know four or five months to really um, Get into a cadence where we weren't tripping over ourselves, but it was certainly um, it was certainly rough, at least at the beginning.
2: Yeah, I could totally understand that. You know, there's there are these great uh, apps and, and websites called Time and Date Calendar that could automatically calculate best time zones. And if you're in the U.S. and you have someone, let's say, in Australia, th- those can be really challenging. And there's always there's always a time zone that has to suffer: stay up late, wake up early. Um, but definitely, uh, you know, definitely once you know you have those growing pains, you become a lot more, a uh, m- lot more sensitive. And even um, a team member of mine, um, you know, she was sending, you know, you know, she, she, you know, she wasn't not we're not always in that mindset, and she was sending times to meet in her own local time zone in the East Coast, even though her customer is on the West Coast, and that sort of created a comedy of errors of really what time are we meeting so we should always be like thinking in our customers mindset and even sending their time zones in their time you know in, in their time and not not ours. Um, anyone else want to, I think David you said you were going to say something
4: yeah I can I can share one of the challenges uh, that I had early on in managing a global team was really understanding the cultural norms. Um, not, so not, not as much from my team, but a lot from my customers, how customers wanted to be engaged with what the right things were that you can say or do with customers that, that, you you know, might, might be okay in one country, but isn't okay in another country, like sending them company swag and stuff like that. Sometimes it's acceptable. Sometimes it's not. Um, And then dealing with my team, you know, thinking about the different perspectives of uh, how, how people think of work-life balance in one region of the world versus another region of the world.
2: Yeah, cultural norms are, are really, are, is, is really something we need to think about. And not even that, even um, sort of, you know, when you're saying um, sort of comments or, or things like, you know, let's table that for later not everyone understands what table that is. Some people think that, you know, it's off the table, it's on the table, like, what does that mean? Um, So even in some cultures, it may may be interpreted uh, differently. I could totally understand that thing about the swag. Um, I know from my own personal experience, Italian customers are very different from U.S. customers and they're different from any other customer. It's really um, the cultural sensitivity is super, super important. Uh, Pam, you, you were gonna say something? Oh, you're on mute. Thank you. We, um, <laughs> <laughs> so
5: I was with Lynn and we of course had the exact same conversation about culture and, and we were saying even in the U.S. things, you know, you have different cultures, different people. So, um, so Lynn said that one way she has overcome it is hopefully your salesperson can give you some insight. Of course, you might need to coach your salesperson to give you that insight. And, But um, also coming from customer education and coming into a system, especially for startups, you really need to think about your documentation, right? And the fact that you're also gonna be translating So as much as possible, it's not possible, it is aspirational, but get your content simple. More is not necessarily better. (laughs) You want to bring it under control as much as possible. I mean, just think about all the different ways things are going to get bogged down. So as much as possible, especially when you're younger, when you're in a startup, think about how you're going to tame that content jungle because it's going to get translated and it's going to get, you know, your people are going to be talking, so they're going to be dealing with it in different ways. But um, I thought Lynn's idea of of making sure that you talk to your salesperson and get as much insight, but the bottom line is be mindful, right? And and start early on that you're going to need to do these iterations.
2: Yeah, absolutely, Pam. And what you said at the beginning, like even in, even locally in the U.S., I had a, a CSM, uh, who's from the south and he refers to everybody as ma'am and sir as a sign of respect and someone on the east coast uh, an executive and a sea level executive uh, got very offended that she was called ma'am she thought it was a little condescending so so even in the U.S. we need to be sort of sensitive of, of, of you know what works what doesn't work Lynn did you ever find anything really insightful from a salesperson? Um, in the past that helped you yeah, i think i think
0: definitely if you ta- especially we're talking like internationally someone might be in charge of an entire you know EMEA region you know and if they can pass on something where you know this guy in germany you know is really direct like don't take offense to that you know a lot of people in customer success want to be super friendly and and have conversations about their weekend uh, but to them that might be a waste of time i think if you get from sales whether it's in the US or internationally about how this person acts, what type of interaction they're looking for, what kind of relationship. I think that's going to be really helpful to set yourself up um, from the very beginning, that you understand what it is they're looking for um, in their typical type of relationship.
2: Yeah, that's definitely very helpful. Um, Anyone else want to expand on that?
6: I'll jump in just because what I had yeah. to say previously was uh, was a bit uh, tactical, which was we we're talking about um, uh, aligning calendars. And one of the things that I've gotten into the habit of doing is, one, using a 24-hour clock. So it, it's not 11 p.m., right? It's 23. Um, and I know for uh, the people that are not Americans, you're like, of course. Right. Um, so that's one. And two is uh, also making sure to clearly state the time zone that you're talking about. Just having that discipline, like that must include, you know, time zone in any uh, you know discussion, um, which, by the way, I find myself doing even when I'm in D.C. talking to someone in New York. Right. But at least I have uh, have that. Um, so that was what I just wanted to say before getting next thing just to kind of talk what was just gotten uh just mentioned was understanding the persona and especially for some of us that work in security and tech there's also a uh persona of of the user and their role not just the country they're in so it's uh really knowing your audience in a more intimate level yeah
2: yeah, I could tell. I'm in this. I'm in the security space. The user in their role. It's that's also, I would say, even sort of a, a cultural thing because you know the, the the security space is the cultural uh, in and of itself. Sometimes you could talk about certain things. Sometimes you can't. You could talk about other customers, and sometimes you can't. Um, so that really still translates into the cultural sensitivity or the 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 sort of the best practices of the industry that that you're in in and of itself.
1: Hey, yeah, Gengarotain what does it mean to be customer centric building and growing relationships maintaining unique customer needs and personalizing the customer experience are three things that come to mind for me hubspot crm platform is designed to help build maintain and personalize your customers experience and they've been releasing new features such as new payment tools like native payment links and recurring payments that directly embed into hubspot's quoting tools custom feedback surveys capturing feedback unique to your business and sharing insights with your team A CRM-powered CMS, that means both your marketers and developers can personalize that customer experience. Connected to your shared inbox, you can also use secure customer portals, keeping ticket conversations going between customers and reps, uh, offering access to your knowledge base, and that can be customized to fit your brand, no coding required. So, learn more about how a HubSpot CRM platform can help build, maintain, and grow your relationships at HubSpot.com.
2: How many of us have dealt with internal teams that are either outsourced or in another country? Um, I know a lot of us are in these global companies, and that comes with a lot of cultural sensitivity, time zones. who can uh, who can uh, talk talk a little bit about that? Manir, do you do you want to share something?
3: Sure. <clears throat>
2: so just to get a background, I had uh, teams
7: reporting to me over six time zones. Uh, that was interesting. Uh, and uh, global customer base at that point, and also uh, dev in Israel, uh, Romania, and, uh, and the US. So, so that was kind of like the, the global uh, settings. The key, <laughs> like really the key is, it depends, I think it came up uh, earlier. It depends on what stage the company is at, whether you have established processes and people in these regions, if you do, then you know having a local presence helps because it kind of alleviates the, the time zone issues and, and so on and so forth. Uh, and then it also helps alleviate some of the communication challenges. So, for example, when we would talk to the Japanese customers, uh, and there was a meeting that needed to happen or something, there's a detailed orient. You know, they would force me to write out everything. Everything and I was like, oh my god, it's it's a great exercise, but <laughs> I didn't realize I have to write so much. But it's just because they wanted to be, you know, well prepared. So knowing, you know, knowing that, and in the absence of not having a regional team, and this is something that we talked about in our group as well, which uh, kind of worked is instead of being one to one, have advisory councils that are regional based. So you know, we'd have like an EMEA, like New Zealand APJ. And and now you're doing instead of doing one to one, you're doing like one to many as well. So that kind of you know takes takes care of it. The second was if you are based out of the U.S. and you're covering globally, do not mix and match time zones for your team. You know if you just give them one uncomfortable time zone to deal with instead of giving them you know a morning call and and a late evening call, right? So you kind of kind of you know mix and, and match it till you till you get a you know in an internal uh, presence and when it comes to teams I prefer asynchronous communication as much as possible so I don't want to talk waste your time and ask you what's on this update so we would do a you know like a slack thing and by the time I wake up at like let's say I start early like five in the morning I would know what's going on with media and stuff so go asynchronous and don't waste your team's time and then you can bond and talk about other things when you're doing face-to-face instead of like what happened to this account and, and so on and so forth. So some of the things that, you know, from my personal experience.
2: Yeah, I can really understand that, that having that local interpretation, I think a lot of partners, so if, if you're a little bit bigger in the growth, you, you have a partner, especially in those Asian countries that really helps. Um, Jeff, you have your hands up and then we'll, we'll have Sean talk.
8: Yeah, from having to manage teams based in Estonia all the way to California, spanning 10 hours, um, the things that I started with were internal. So I'd have someone in each geo on a project, uh, even if it was just to put a a flag in the ground, um, to use that analogy. So you have something internal you're working on, whatever, it's a new process or implementation of a CSP or whatever you're doing, have stakeholders in each geo so that they have to sync. Um, And so, that, that's one one thing I did the other things I did um, performance management software or call recording or whatever you're using uh, once a month I had individuals again from each location meet in groups um, all different levels all different uh, positions but to again get the sensitivity of cultural colloquial location um, and to meet and and you know see other things that are going on in the world um, so that was uh, with a, with a team of 55 had a little bit of you know, you know, uh, movement to it. Um, but, uh, it it helped every round everybody out and keep them sensitive.
2: Yeah, that's a great idea. Having those little pods and groups, that's definitely, uh, very helpful. Um, Sean.
9: Yeah, I think a few of the things I, I, uh, was going to say were covered, but I think just going back to basics and trying to encourage, you know, good behavior that favors a, a positive customer experience. So, where you find that folks that have been in the industry a while, get into a particular habit around just how they book meetings, right? You know, looking at their calendar manually. And I think I saw a comment around adding some additional time zones to your calendar. Um, you know, this is in, in no way a plug. Uh, you know, for Mixmax, I think there's a few different tools that support this, but you know, having several uh, you know calendar templates that you use and aligning those to the different segments that you support. So for me, um, <clears throat> especially with a, a fast-growing earlier-stage company where you don't have the luxury of folks you know, based across different time zones, you know, ensuring that your team has a baseline of, okay, like this is a customer meeting template that we're only going to use for customers in the EU or in APAC, right? Um, So that those early morning PST times are reserved for those customers that truly need to talk to you during those times versus, uh, you know, kind of letting it be open season and having, uh, you know, local Bay Area customers very quickly fill up your calendar between, you know, 7 and 10 a.m. Pacific time. And I think just little things like that um, you know, help folks you know, uh, you know change their habit in a positive way, and and bring you know quite a few dividends to the customer experience in the long term. So that even though you can't talk to customers for you know eight hour period, you know they know that every single day there's at least a two hour window where they know they can get a hold of you. And if you make that calendar available, you know weeks in advance, you know I've, I've noticed a little bit less friction in some of those conversations, especially when you're wanting to try to get uh, some of their executive stakeholders to the table for discussions around renewals and things like that.
2: Yeah, absolutely. All those little, you know, little tools and Pam mentioned Calendly. I know on myself. Again, I'm in a different time zone, as many of my team members and customers. So I sort of make sure to broaden and broaden my availability, not only in my mornings but also late at night. You have to do that. There's, you know, but the, those those tools definitely definitely do help to make sure that you're uh, that you're broadening in it, that you're broadening your availability to all time zones. Anyone else would like to mention anything? Anything that came up in the breakout rooms? We have another 10 minutes. I'd love to really hear, it seems like the podcast topic was really popular. So it doesn't have anything directly to do with our subject, but hey, let's let's go ahead. Anyone have any good podcasts that they listen to or they recommend? Andrew?
9: Well, I mean, I have my podcast.
2: Yes, that's Mm -hmm. why I. (laughs)
9: Uh, I I, I enjoy it. I enjoy having the conversations. It's very much a um, unscripted conversation. I think that's why we get so much positive feedback from folks uh, that it's just like uh, it's it's two people talking about a topic that they know something about and they're passionate about and uh, and and. my my listeners like it and it's it's a webcast. technically it's a webcast right now it's only available it's available on youtube and through our platform but uh we will be at some point rolling it out as a podcast here hopefully at some point in uh, 2022 once we get down our priority list to it
2: well who said that, who wrote the true crimes one i'm a big fan of that which ones have you been been listening to
0: Um, So currently I'm listening to Anatomy of Murder, which is hosted by a New York prosecuting attorney and a um, crime journalist, former police officer. Um, So they break down these, these, these true murders uh, into kind of the legal aspect, the law enforcement aspect, and, and they're, they're they're always aimed at really um, honoring the victim and not glorifying the crime per se, and just recognizing that, you know, there, there were families and people impacted. So that one, and then I listened to the 48 hours and, you know, all the other, but anatomy of murder is the true crime one I'm listening to now.
2: Cool. I gotta have to add that. I have to say, since I I'm hybrid and I, haven't been on the road as much I don't have a chance to listen to all my podcasts as much as I want I used to being in that hour and a half traffic I listen when I walk
0: at night which is kind of creepy when it gets dark out but <laughs> that's the best time to
2: listen to true crime podcasts <laughs> over late at night. like
0: oh my god
2: <laughs> yeah Jeffy just pointed out all of the uh the great CS ones mm-hmm. those
10: are
2: those <clears> are all great mm-hmm.
10: I, uh, I listen to Conan O'Brien as a podcast uh, called Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend. I'm, I'm a fan of his, so I enjoy it. But then every other, so every, every uh, one, one week, it's the interviews, the guest you expect. He has more time. He talks less about their work, just more about his banter and things. It's pretty fun. He has like a, uh, his assistant and a production manager are on there with him doing it. But every other week, <clears throat> it, they host um, like a shorter episode, like 20, 25 minutes. And it's called Conan O'Brien um, Needs a Fan and they interview just a fan that you know people write in and they just I think they probably say what they do for a job or a hobby and he's interviews a fan for 20-25 minutes and of course Conan O'Brien's such an experienced host and just like such a giving person in terms of just like appreciating the people he's talking to that ends up being just as good of an episode as it is when he talks to celebrities so it's pretty interesting to see his genuine interest in others and how he handles just a random person talking about their random job or random life experience so it's a pretty light podcast, and so if you're looking for some just entertainment, Connor O'Brien needs a friend is a it's a good one.
2: I love that one. I didn't realize he has a fan one too.
10: It's the same. It's, it's like almost the same. It's just yeah, it's, it's I think now they they put it together, but it's like every other episode, you'll see that there's like a 20 minute one. It just ends up being um, a fan. You almost can't even tell when you just listen to it because it's you know the interviews are pretty seamless and pretty interesting too. And you realize like oh this is just a random guy that does CS or whatever you know some random person. So it's cool.
2: Cool. So Andrew mentioned he's gonna be on the Planet uh, podcast. So that's great. Anyone, any uh, any of us are gonna be on any upcoming podcasts or any in the past? I'm sure some of us have been guests on some podcasts we could recommend. Jeff just hosted one yesterday. There you go. Jeff, what did you host?
8: I, I didn't I didn't host, I just was a uh... A, a talking head. So I'll throw the, the link in here. Um, there are a lot of minds uh, on there. You probably want to listen to it before mine. So you can mute when I talk and then go back to it. <laughs> I'll put it in.
5: Stop.
2: Cool. Um, so uh, anyone else want to share anything?
10: Katya had, I don't think she's on anymore, but in our chat room she had an interesting um, dynamic in terms, back to the international and challenges there, where um, if you have a client that's headquartered in one territory, headquartered in the U.S., but then as their user base grows internationally, you, know, you, you start getting the dynamic of which team or which person. You might have an international employee or team now responsible for a lot of the success of that international division of a company headquartered in the U.S., and then at those company size, you start looking at rules, okay, well, the ARR technically fits into the U.S., renewal and ARR and they're responsible for it. So now I have a renewal manager in the U.S. responsible for an ARR for a team that's heavily positioned internationally. And now it just becomes a game of like, who's really responsible? Like who, where does this live? And I think depending on your size company, like sales people get this a lot where you get like a lead comes from international international territory, but the check is going to get paid by a U.S. location. So now whose sales lead is this really? And so we kind of talk I've had creating, a lot of that. Yeah. yeah. So you start creating rules and say, well, maybe if it's Where's the headquarters and where is the bill getting paid from? And where do 60% of the users live? You start kind of creating rules of engagement around that. But again, those are just rules of engagement to try to help you get around bureaucracy of who's is it and where does it fall? But then you have to kind of build a a bigger strategy around how does this now work when you have headquarters in U S but teams international, when you start breaking that out and then how you start separating the ARR and who's responsible for that. It was just an interesting conversation that we didn't have a lot of answers for. Other than we kind of shared like how we've broken like just playbook rules just to at least in the interim stop like internal struggles over responsibility. But it was an interesting aspect of that conversation that I hadn't thought about but it was obviously pretty relevant.
2: It is very relevant. I've actually had many situations in my current uh, company where um, a initial sale starts in one country but then there's an expansion to another region so who which CSM actually gets it, you know, who is, it this, is the same account manager still managing it and who actually gets the expansion there so. Um, so that that brought up a lot of conversations and the way that we dealt with it is that if we have someone in, the, in that specific region, we split up the account into two. Um, even though sometimes it's only one ARR. Yeah.
10: That's interesting. Yeah, I think as long as you start getting some from where you are today, what are the, like rules of engagement to make it pretty black and white? As you kind of fumble into the next challenge, and then you start getting real, real policies in place. But it is tricky. You got a headquarters one place, the check comes from some other place, and the people are working somewhere else. And you say, okay, who gets the credit for the win, and who gets to do all the grunt work to make it actually succeed? It's not fun necessarily. So, and a lot of times the CSMs are the ones that end up, you know, and the salesperson is the one that get caught in the middle because the company hasn't thought about it. So yeah. yeah you want to stay ahead of that
2: <laughs> yeah absolutely
10: any other okay, terms yeah go
2: ahead
10: we just talked a lot about just that you know at what point do you start making those investments you have one international client you probably don't have an international you know region or territory or office or a person yet but it's like that jump like when do you make like what signs do you look for when you say okay it's time to have an in you know in region person to address that times and address that specifics it's, it's different for every company depending on their capital and how they're how fast they're going to grow but
2: Yeah. Regional is definitely the way to go if if it makes sense. Um, but until then, like there's growing pains for sure.
9: On on a related topic, we didn't have time to get into this since it was at the very end of our chat, but we we touched on the, the topic of success as a service. And you know, when would be the right time to bring something like that in? And and would we bring them in as generalists or bring them in as you know, specialists focused on maybe onboarding, you know, per se. Uh, you know, something I'd love to, to hear, you know, y'all's feedback on, you know, perhaps in another session.
2: You mean paid, uh, a, a paid CSM?
9: Correct. O- outsourced success.
5: Wait, paid or outsourced?
9: Paying for outsourced, outsourced customer success managers.
2: Oh. Mm-hmm. Oh, so Jeff does that now. Okay,
10: cool. want you want
2: to yeah, you want you wanna just talk really quickly for the next two minutes how how that works, Jeff?
8: Uh difficultly. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, um, it goes back to the old um, on-prem days with partners, like do you who wants to hand over their customers, right? Um, and all of the associated issues around that. So uh, difficultly, gently, securely, uh, thoughtfully, uh, empathetically, um, all the other adjectives you can, you can put around it. So, um, it's a lot of fun. I can tell you that because every day and every customer you're, it's just, if any one of us took a leadership position at any company on a Tuesday, we do it one way. And we had the same exact scenario on Wednesday. It would be different because there's so many different, which is why we love this stuff. There's so many different ways to cut it up and dice it up and all that stuff. So, um, but anyways, that's, we're at time and, and with the details and the, the blood and guts behind the sausage. So, Matthew,
2: yeah. great job. Thank you.
10: Yeah, good Well, job, thank
2: you. Thank you, yeah, everyone, for making this easy on me. Uh, thanks for joining, and uh, we'll see you
10: all next week. I'll see you, everybody. Thanks. Bye, bye. Good job.